And welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Tara Bird, and I am the incoming co-chair of the Real Property Law section of the California Lawyers Association. I'm the host for today's episode, which is being recorded on location at the 2019 California Lawyers Association Annual Meeting in Monterey, California. Joining me now, I have two guests that are on my executive committee, Ashley Peterson and Anna Liu. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So before we get to our topics, please tell us more about yourself. Uh, Where do you work? What do you do? And we will start with Ashley. Uh, Hi, I'm Ashley Peterson. I'm a real estate transactional attorney in San Diego, California. I'm a solo attorney, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you. And Anna? Hi, I'm Anna. I am a real estate litigator in San Francisco, California. I practice real estate law and landlord-tenant law, and I grew up in Honolulu. Awesome. Thank you. So one of the benefits of the California Lawyers Association is all of our amazing programming. And I know that you two just put on a program on short-term rentals. So I'd love to chat about that. Um, So let's start with horror stories. Ashley, earlier you mentioned some. Can you share with us? (laughs) Yes. uh, I would say some of the worst horror stories I've ever heard with short-term rentals are people creating fake profiles, fake credit cards, and booking a property, and then loading up a moving van with all the personal property inside the unit and driving away with it. And it was all caught on camera, by the way, too, which was very funny. (laughs) What kind of camera did they have? I was a neighbor's, like, pool cam that caught the moving truck and they were just leisurely moving stuff out like they were just moving in and out like regular tenants. And did the police catch them? I don't know if they've been caught yet by the police, but this happened in San Diego a couple months ago. So. And earlier you mentioned something about prostitutes. What's that story? <laughs> I've heard stories that people are renting these properties and then inviting call girls to come over to the house. And <laughs> that would be definitely a horror story if you were an owner of that property. Yes, that's scary. Anna, any horror stories um, from your litigation experience? I think some of the common ones are when guests stay outstay their welcome. So they'll stay longer than they were supposed to or stay more than 30 days, which then gives them tenant rights. And in certain cities, especially like San Francisco, where there's rent and eviction control and soon to be now of California, those guests now become tenants. So you have to go through the court eviction process to ask them to leave. That is awful. So how can homeowners protect themselves from these types of situations? Um, Obviously, you want to vet the people that are going to be renting your property and getting some sort of additional identification from them uh, in addition to whatever Airbnb requires, which they clearly are not doing background checks if people are booking properties and using prostitutes and drugs and uh, (laughs) fake profiles. But uh, I would say also having a really good insurance policy in addition to whatever Airbnb provides because their policy is quite limited. Yeah, I definitely agree. Having a policy that covers at least a million dollars in liability, two millions better, and an umbrella policy would certainly help cover. Um, Also, if you're an owner and you are uh, renting to tenants, make sure you have a written lease that specifically prohibits short-term rentals at the property. Okay, so I want to follow up on the insurance If I'm an owner and I rent to a tenant on Airbnb and that tenant takes my stuff, is that something that the insurance company will cover even though I rent it to them willingly? 
Airbnb's policy is up to a million dollars for uh, property damage or personal liability insurance. And then they also have a host protection, which is for uh, like theft of personal property items. But it does not include like very, you, like your, if you had the, uh, the heart of the ocean that was in your house, it would clearly not cover that under their insurance policy. Or if you had a Van Gogh in your living room, it would not cover that as well. Okay, so when you say insurance, you're talking about obtaining insurance through Airbnb or through VRBO. Airbnb just carries their own policies, and okay. you can submit claims yourself, but you also want to have your own individual uh, commercial liability policy to protect you from rental for rental uh, insurance reasons. Okay. Correct, and homeowners policies won't cover those types of claims. Exactly. Is that an umbrella policy as well that would cover those types of claims? You would want a commercial umbrella and do you know how much those cost? What is a person looking at as far as monthly um, premiums? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It can range depending on how high of a policy you get. So, okay. So, what role do HOAs play in short-term rentals? Um, that's probably one of the biggest questions I get asked all the time uh, when people call me: is the homeowners association enforcement of the short-term rental re restrictions in their CCNRs? Obviously, if there are any leasing restrictions that are in the CCNRs. That would prohibit you from being able to do short-term rentals if the leasing says something like you can't lease your property for less than 30 days or 60 days or whatever it may be. But I know that there's some recent case law that came out in California, which uh, basically prohibits HOAs from enacting new regulations in the coastal zone because they're saying basically it's a city and coastal commission determination. And that's the Greenfield case. And where was Greenfield? What part of California? that I don't actually know, but I think it's somewhere in LA area possibly. I know being from San Diego that we have some issues with our coastal rental where I can see that coming up. And so Anna, you're from San Francisco. So can you tell us about some of the San Francisco specific issues that you've seen come up with HOA or just with San Francisco ordinances in general? Sure. San Francisco is one of the cities in California that regulates Airbnb usage or short-term rental usage uh, the, the most or most heavily. In San Francisco, some of the requirements are that the owner actually has to live in the unit, for example, as their primary residence. Um, that's different from other counties. And what I think is interesting about San Francisco is they distinguish between hosted and unhosted. So if you're the owner and you're sleeping in the property at, with your guests at the same uh, time, then you can do that an unlimited number of times. But if it's a non-hosted rental, you're limited to 90, 90 nights per year. So those are some of the more restrictive measures in San Francisco. Okay, interesting. So that takes us to um, the issue of hosted. Uh, earlier, you mentioned something about granny flats and accessory dwelling units. How do those play a role in the uh, Airbnb short-term rental era? Specifically in San Francisco, ADUs or, or accessory dwelling units cannot be uh, utilized for short-term rentals. So an owner cannot rent out their short-term their ADU for um, under 30 days. It's absolutely prohibited. It has to be a legal unit. Um, and generally with um, granny flats, for example, they're most likely not permitted or illegal. Okay, so if the granny flat was permitted, then could it be rented out? Yes, as long as the owner's actually living in that granny flat in San Francisco, at least. So the owner would have to be in the granny flat, not just in the main home. Exactly. And that's where a lot of intersect happens because a lot of people will live in the main home. They're not living in their granny unit. And so they want to rent out the granny unit and they'll often get caught, have their business registration revoked because they're not living in the unit. Wow. So Ashley, how is that different or similar in San Diego? 
Well, since San Diego doesn't have any short-term rental restrictions right now, and San Diego City also just allowed uh, or enacted more easier regulations for creating these accessory dwelling units, people are jumping on board and building these like crazy in San Diego so that they can do short-term rentals out of these units. So at least in San Diego right now, since there are no restrictions, they're jumping on board and taking advantage of uh, being able to rent out those granny flats. So it really varies city to city or is it county to county? City to city. City to city. And counties have their own regulations too, but mostly it's city. Okay. So speaking of regulations, I know that there's some new rent control ordinances in California. Do either of you want to share some information on that? I'll let Anna take that one. (laughs) So, yes, actually, Governor Newsom yesterday signed AB 1482. It's the Tenant Protection Act of 2019, and it basically imposes statewide rent control and statewide eviction control in California. So that's a huge deal because many of the counties and cities in San Francisco had no eviction or rent control. And so some of the key points of that new Tenant Protection Act include 5% rent increase limits, where an owner can only go 5% as a rent increase plus the CPI adjustment and absolutely capped at 10%. So that's a big change. Um, A lot of the cities are now implementing uh, ways to try and combat that, but that rent increase uh, is rolled back too. So any rent increase this year that was after March 2019 is now invalid. Um, And that law goes into effect January 1st, 2020. Is that more or less restrictive than San Francisco's current rent control? Um, Right now, San Francisco is is very low. So owners, it changes every year. Usually it's about one or 2%. Um, But what is different is in San Francisco, you can bank rent increases. So if you didn't impose that one or 2%, you can bank them and it can be more than 10%. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. So thank you for that update. So you said that was signed yesterday by Governor Newsom. So today's the 10th, so that makes that the 9th. So that's really hot off the press. (laughs) So thank you for that up-to-date information. And that's one of the benefits of being a member of the California Lawyers Association and attending our programming. So Anna, I'm going to turn to you because you are um, a brand new executive committee member. I think your official term starts on Sunday. So can you tell us a little bit about what drew you to the CLA and why you decided to become an active member? of the board? Sure. I participated in the conferences in past years as just an attendee, and uh, I found that the programming was always helpful and informative, and I met great people and made a lot of great networking connections. So I decided that I wanted to become more involved to help put on some of the programming, to participate, to speak on panels with Ashley. And so um, I applied to join, and so far it's been a great experience. Great. Thank you. Well, we're excited to have you. Thank you. And so, Ashley, can you tell us about some of our upcoming programming for 2020? Yes, we're very excited. My fabulous co-chair of the planning committee for the spring conference, Elizabeth Blair and I have been working very hard to bring the spring conference in April 23rd to 25th in San Francisco. And it will be at the Weston St. Francis Hotel. Um, and what's It's basically two days of programming for CLEs, uh, ethics, specialty credits, um, and real property topics. And in addition, we have a very bonus day uh, this year. We're going to be, or I'm sorry, next year, we're going to be doing the Cannabis Law Symposium, which is our brand new idea this year to bring the sections together from other areas of law and talk about different topics involving cannabis law. Awesome. Well, that sounds really exciting. I know I can't wait to go. So it looks like we've reached the end of the road for our episode. I want to thank our guests for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So if our listeners have any questions or wish to follow up, how can they reach each of you? Anna? 
I'd be happy to connect with any of our listeners. You can shoot me an email. My email address is aliu at samlaw.net, or you can find me on LinkedIn. And Ashley? They can either call my office at 619-222-7300, or they can email me at amp at ashleypetersonlaw.com. And if anyone is interested in more information about our spring conference, you can find us at calawyers.org and then look for the Real Property Law section under the Sections tab. Also, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. I'm Tara Bird. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.